Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Welcome to the last episode of Still Watching about the HBO series, We Are Who We Are. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic, Richard Lawson. If you're just joining us on Still Watching, what we do every week is Richard and I pick a show that we're currently sort of obsessing over, watching very closely. We break down the latest episode and uh, and we go from there. So we are closing the chapter on We Are Who We Are. And we have already opened our next chapter, which is The Undoing, also on HBO. So those those podcasts already exist in your feed. Uh, we are two episodes into The Undoing as you are listening to this recording. Um, but we are here to wrap up this this other series that, that I found, like, that I loved way more than I thought I was going to. So I'm actually kind of sad uh, to say goodbye to this series. Richard, how are you feeling about the end of this era? Yeah, sad. I mean, I think, um, you know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, given the time frame of the series and the time frame we're in right now in real life, right before an election, which as you're listening to this will be tomorrow, um, you feel both kind of like all of the hope that these two kids run into the world with at the very end, but also a kind of bittersweet nostalgia in a strange way, even though things had just gotten worse than they already were. Um, So yeah, it's a heady mix of things, but I think that we can talk about, but like, I think that um, actually really beautifully captures what it feels like at times to be that age. So we are going to be talking about uh, this final episode, um, which is, it's funny, like looking at the emails that we got from our listeners and you can always email us still watching pod at gmail.com. Uh, Everyone seemed to have like a different expectation of what this finale would be. I think a lot of people thought we were going to wrap up with a more comprehensive check-in with a lot of characters. Uh, but we barely see anyone outside of uh, Fraser and Harper in this final episode, which maybe is sort of, maybe we should have seen that coming. I don't know. But um, we got a lot of emails about Maggie. <laughs> I'm sorry to say to people yeah. that like we will not be checking in with Maggie in this episode, but let's let's talk about those emails a little bit before we get into this Maggie less uh, episode. Uh, so uh, we're gonna start with this uh, email from Fernanda, who is from Brazil, and so was sort of excited to see some Brazilian representation um, in the form of Maggie, um, and said, "I've been fascinated." 
um, by the juxtaposition of how the two families interact with their mother's cultures. In episode three, Jenny tells Maggie that she has to cook American food. And just a couple of scenes earlier, Sarah was offering Harper some far farofa, a Brazilian dish. In the same episode, we see a corny mug with Brazilian flag on Fraser's desk, later Brazilian music by legendary composer Tom uh, Jobim, I think is how you pronounce uh, that name, is playing when Sarah walks Harper out and it continues in the background when Sarah and Fraser fight. In comparison to the um, Poitras family, they seem very progressive, for lack of a better word. I find it interesting that Sarah is always highlighting that openness, re-saying she learned Portuguese. To me, it's similar to her approaching Harper about being a male soldier, basically affirming to herself that she is different than the men around her. She's intellectually and spiritually advanced. For all of Sarah's display, there's no indication that Fraser carries any influence of Brazilian culture. Uh, and then Fernanda says, I imagine the kids have also had to downplay any foreign influences because in strange lands, they have always had to define themselves by their Americanness. In contrast, we saw Harper speaking Yoruba in the pilot and obviously Danny's identity crisis. Plus Maggie is not a Brazilian name at best. It's an Americanized name. Sarah embodies, Sarah embodies a kind of white liberal who loves to boast about the progressiveness, but whose acceptance only works insofar as they remain the intellectual better and the one in charge. Sarah saying Maggie can never know what it's like to have her own son uh, say I hate you while Brazilian music plays in the background feels like a great way to make this point but again I might be overthinking I hope I didn't bore you with my essay thank you both for the podcast looking forward to the last two discussions so um, yeah so what like what do you think of this this uh, I, I do think it's interesting that there is like this otherness I nationally speaking this otherness identity within both of these families specifically in these caring sort of caretaker mom roles uh what do you think richard well i think first of all i don't think that there is any way to read too much into the show i think it's it's deliberately yeah you know uh vague you know in, in some of its uh portraiture of these characters so i think it's it's a show that is ripe for interpretation and knowing what i do about guadagnino's engagement with uh cr you know criticism and 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 writing about his work i think he would welcome that um, so don't, don't feel bad about that. But, um, and if, if there were, if there was reading too much into this show, what, what are we doing <laughs> for the past seven episodes? But, um, you know, I think that we talked about this early in the run of the season about this concept of third culture kids, uh, kids, you know, kids who are, I guess, nationally from someplace, but grew up elsewhere and have maybe four parents who are of differing nationalities and, 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 and what that means for one sense of identity, especially on a military base where there is this like very aggressive form of nationalism, you know, sort of everywhere you look. Um, but I think of many things, this show is about these two kids learning both about the absolutes of the world and the complete opposite. And their parents represent those things in, in various ways too. You know, uh, certain convictions about politics that maybe Harper's parent, uh, father has or, or lack of conviction about what a marriage should be that, um, that Fraser's parents have. And, and that, that goes all the way to nationality and stuff. So I think that that parental portraiture has really been interesting on the show, but I do think that, the series ended where it needed to because it was about these kids and their parents will continue on probably mostly in the same way. Right. Um, and the kids though are still, you know, ever evolving. 
I love that. And I and I do think it's interesting in this episode when the kids get picked up um, you know, by these by these strangers and given a ride to the to the concert and they're asked if they're Americans and they're like, Yeah, we're Americans and it's like, Yeah, they are Americans, like you know, in theory, but they like, qualify it though. They're yeah. like, but we live on a military, yeah. you know, they, they, because they don't want to be just be like, they don't want to be tourists, you yeah, know, yeah. Like, but we live in Italy, you know. <laughs> yeah, and this idea, I didn't know this, but uh, you know, Harper says like we can only live there in like max three years, and oftentimes it's less than that. Um, yeah. I didn't know that uh, three years was sort of like the max on that. So, um, all right, more Maggie content. I'm I'm like fascinated by how many Maggie emails we got, honestly. Um, so shout out to Elisa Braga for doing a great job with this character. Okay. The hot queer woman uh, <laughs> engendered a lot of responses. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, so Veronica wrote in, uh, my favorite detail about the breakup scene between Maggie and Jenny is when Jenny tells Maggie, uh, you would understand if you had children of your own, which is something we've also heard Sarah say to Maggie in an earlier episode. The difference is that Jenny immediately apologized and recognizes this as a hurtful thing to say brought on by her own grief, while, if I remember correctly, Sarah says this very casually and completely oblivious of the hurt it causes Maggie. Maggie receives so much more respect and compassion from Jenny than from Sarah. I think you're both absolutely right that the events of the last episode have led the two families to circle the wagon and stand firmly with their own family unit, despite how they've become intertwined. I envisioned this having a dire effect on Fraser and Harper in the last episode, but I also find it to be quite tragic for Maggie. Fitting with the overall theme of loss in this episode, including a literal electoral loss, Maggie's loss of Jenny seems to harden her into a defensive us versus them survival mode, which can also be said of the country at this time. Uh, thank you so much for this podcast from Veronica. And let me, I'm just going to follow Veronica's email really quickly with this other one because I just think we can talk about them together. This one comes from Caroline. Uh, and she says, for this penultimate episode, y'all mentioned the idea the show is telling us we should have been paying attention. And I definitely felt that too. Almost like we're being chided for getting caught up in the youthful romances and forgetting that the whole story is taking place against the backdrop of war. I think it would think we see it most transparently in the scene between Jenny and Maggie with Jenny's comments that they should have been watching the kids. I took it to mean that she was starting to awaken to her complicity slash culpability in the military industrial complex, though maybe the industrial part of that moniker is irrelevant here where we're talking about more about the human cost than the economic. Early in the episode, the kids in the grief counseling session seem to be grappling with this weight too, but without the power and agency of the adults on the base who chose to become involved with the military. For those kids and the military spouses to an extent, they might be more committed to their own families than to any notion of self-sacrifice, but the ripple effect of grief does not discriminate. Although I've been enjoying the show on an aesthetic level every week, Craig's death and the aftermath was one of the very first moments that really moved me on an emotional level, other than being the other being Harper crying out for her dad's love and support, even as he was pushing uh, them away post haircut. But getting back to Maggie, it has driven me nuts that characters keep implying that she doesn't know what it's like to have a child. It's such an unfair accusation. We know that she's been in Sarah's life since Fraser was even, uh, since before Fraser was even born. So she's raised him just as much as Sarah has, perhaps more so since we see that she's the one Fraser turns to in his toughest moments. So if I've any one specific hope for the finale is that someone, hopefully Fraser, finally acknowledges the impact she's had on his life. Looking forward to hearing y'all's thoughts on the finale, uh, Caroline. So Caroline did not get her wish. Maggie is whoop, not whoop. <laughs> even mentioned in this finale, but like, um, yeah, this, this idea of like, I, I, it is, it does strike me as wild every time someone implies that like Maggie is not a mother or doesn't know what it's like to be a mother. It's, 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 it's completely wild to me. Um, I can't imagine saying that to someone who is 
uh, even spend any time raising a child. Um, do you have any yeah. thoughts on this, Richard? Well, there's an interesting scene in this episode where Fraser, you know, confesses the thing about Mark, but also before that is talking about uh, his mother and how she's, you know, kind of always co-ops, some, you know, someone he likes or whatever, and then says, you know, I've only met my grandfather like three times and then he was just like her. And, you know, so this is, uh, there is a legacy of this in, within this family. And I think we see some of that, that bluntness, that, um, you know, uncharitable way of talking to people in Fraser, you know? Um, and uh, I think that that is just yet another thing that these kids, you know, are just trying to figure out who they are in the context of so many things, their, their own bodies, uh, their communities, their families, their countries, whatever that means. Um, and, uh, I think it's important that we got to know the intricacies of these two parental units. Um, but, uh, ultimately the story had to move past that, um, and focus again on on our two leads. Well, especially since, you know, this episode and, and the series as a whole, um, if we're to take what this final episode is interested in as, as sort of a comment on what the whole thing has been about, uh, is about exactly what the title says, which is we are who we are. We're trying to figure out who we are. We are young. Um, our identities uh, perhaps defy gender and sexual orientation like definitions um and we're figuring it out and uh, the way in which we have opportunities to be like our parents and the way in which we have opportunities to be not like our parents and and which parent are we going to be like so i actually think maggie is in this episode i'll get to it in the end but i do think maggie's in this episode in kind of a surprising way uh despite not appearing um all right just two more emails um uh kind of this first one's about Sarah last mom email. I will say, um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, I just wanted to comment on Sarah's public changing. I thought this was just another and more extreme example of her absolute lack of boundaries, like her eating other people's food, drinking their drinks, etc. She's is exerting her power and dominance in all these moves. However, in her boundary challenge relationship with Frazier, the power dynamic is often flipped with Frazier generally being more aggressive after her provoking him. Of course, Possibly she feels the need to exert her power and authority over others uh, more since she feels out of control in her relationship with her son. Or maybe she just thinks that is how she demonstrates authority and, uh, and command with her troops. Also, I know you both were obviously too professional to bring this up, but I could not help but be incredibly distracted by that scene by her lack of bra that she ended up putting on her dress clothes that she will be in all day doing very important public things all day, being up close and personal with grieving people all day without a bra, not to like control people's bodies, but that doesn't sound very comfortable or professional from Joy. Um, so yeah, this, you know, I, you know, Joy's email made me think about Frazier's behavior in the, for a lot of this episode in uh, this finale episode where I'm I'm frustrated that Frazier abandons Harper at this concert. But if we think about when Frazier says awful blunt things, which he does mostly to his mom, but occasionally to Harper, uh, or when he behaves selfishly, which he mostly hasn't, he's been very like clingy to Harper. So this, this like abandoning her or abandoning them, um, that feels like a Sarah move to me. He's like following what, what he's interested in in the moment without thinking about, uh, this person that he's like left behind 
at this concert. I I got really anxious because like I feel like I've been Harper in a lot of situations. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, how dare you leave leave them alone? Um, I don't know. What what do you think about that? I mean, I I think. I I think Harper had their own thing to do at that concert. I think they were both, you know, I mean, you know, this kid's about to move to Japan, probably. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff kind of, none of this night is, 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 is representing any sort of permanency. And so I, I thought that what was, was so bittersweet and, and kind of perfect about the, the way that the two kids parted and then came back together during this this kind of magical night uh was that like that's gonna have to happen and it does happen not just because someone moves to japan but it just happens as you get older and as, especially yeah. these two people who are really figuring themselves out and trying to find community and part you know companionship romantically like um and i think the i don't know i i think that there was on harper's case in uh, on their side of things like not so much an anger at Frasier, but a kind of like weary understanding and, and, you know, and then they did the same thing to to Frasier, like Frasier got abandoned at the concert, you know? So like it, it just felt very true to, you know, in a distillated way, like a distilled way um, of, of, of a longer story of, of, of friends who are, you know, people, people who are friends when they're young and what inevitably, unless they like stay together the rest of their lives uh, eventually has to happen. I mean, it's true that that Harper has their own journey at the concert, um, but it's a journey that they, it's not the one that they, it's not their first choice of a journey at that concert, is it would be my interpretation. Like, I feel like Harper felt abandoned, abandoned starting in the car. Like, this is, this is supposed to be like this thing that they were going to do together, right? And you sure. get this, yeah. this mm-hmm. sequence on the train where they're like forehead to forehead listening to this song that they practice and they're going to sing it, to, they're going to sing it together when it comes up at the concert and this is the plan and you're right, you know, like, yes, youthful plans of togetherness often go awry. Obviously. Yes. You're completely right about like friendships changing and stuff like that. But this idea that like Frazier meets this boy in the car who, who speaks his language about fashion and immediately Harper is left out of it and, um, and walks into the room without once turning back to see if Harper's right behind him. And then later texts, where did you end up? Which is just like, Oh, that, I don't know. Like maybe I'm just over identifying or, or laying onto Harper, how I would feel. But I felt like Harper was like actually very angry. Um, and the text outside where Harper's like, I got to go, I got to go to the train station. I got to go and just left is like an anger at being, I thought abandoned. And, and like, it's healed in the end because in the end, you know, Fraser could have seen the most beautiful thing in the world, I suppose, with this uh, stranger that he met. But he ran for 45 minutes straight to get to the train station in order to make sure that he spends that moment with Harper instead. And and Harper obviously feels very valued in that moment. So, like, I feel like Fraser reorients his priorities at the end of the episode, but mm-hmm. but loses focus of what should matter most to him for most of for for that center section of the episode that's my reading of it i guess yeah i mean sure yeah yeah i mean i think you know he's texting harper when he when when the song's playing like where are you looking for them and harper's get backstage and just took a selfie with the guy yeah. you know so uh, you know i i see it as a bit more of an equitable split 
Um, but yes, I do think that Fraser realizes like this night was about the two of us and I can, that other adventure can wait. That, yeah. that, that will come. Um, all right. Last email. Uh, and then we will get back to discussion of this episode itself. This one comes from Michael who says, just thought I'd point out that after Fraser runs out of a potentially sexual encounter with Jonathan and his girlfriend and arrives home and gets wasted, his moms wake him up and he asks why his moms never tell him anything about his dad. <clears throat> throughout the series I assumed that Fraser was romantically interested in Jonathan and maybe he was but him asking about his father made me think his interest in Jonathan was more about seeking out a father figure than a lover this idea was reinforced for me by the way Fraser didn't try to kiss Jonathan but just wanted to be held by him also just wanted to note that Luca loves for his young male protagonist Elio from Call Me By Your Name and Fraser to leave freezers open for women to have to close them Maggie in this case big fan of the pod um I also get stressed out, by the way, when like freezer and refrigerator doors are left open on TV shows. Um, yeah. So what, what do you make of this of this uh, question around what Fraser is looking for from Jonathan? I, mean, I have no doubt that that's part of it. You know, um, I think it's both of those things. And I think yeah. that's, I mean, time old, you know, age old tradition of people <laughs> dating someone who they see a parent in, you yeah. know, to some extent. Yeah. Um, I also think in some senses the like very drunk, like you never tell me about my dad is sincere. I think part of it also was not a put on, but a, an immediate plea for sympathy. Yeah. You know, like I got shit faced and shouldn't have done that. And I'm now passed out of the floor and uh, <laughs> I, I was gone most of the night. Um, yeah. So, Oh, well, how can I get immediate sympathy? Oh, my dad, you know, yeah. like I think it was, I think it was genuine, but also a tactic. Uh, that makes sense to me. What it comes down to, and it's so interesting because I was remembering at the beginning of the series when you and I were talking about what we want uh, for Harper and Frasier, and we were like, do we want them to be romantically uh, entangled or do we want them to be just supportive pals through their journey of identity? And you and I both like landed on supportive pals, but at the same time, I'm not mad about where this episode ends at all. And I I think it's because in these in these final sort of swirling moments of last episode and this episode, we get both. This is where I think it's very equitable. We get both Fraser and Harper approached by two different people. There's Jonathan and and Jonathan's plus one last week. There's this boy uh, in this episode. And then for Harper, there's Brittany and there's the bartender. And it's just sort of like. <clears throat> is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? No, it's none of that. It's this. It's it's mm -hmm. it's our connection. Harper and Fraser, like watching Harper kiss, I think like three people, uh, and and sort of have zero reaction uh in this series, or four, I suppose, uh, and have like pretty much zero reaction uh in this series, and then and then their smile when Fraser kisses them. Um, I'm not saying the, you know, that these kids are going to like happily ever after their, their OTP, they're, they're going to get married or anything like that. As you say, I think, you know, they're about to be separated. This is the end of something, but uh, that smile was just sort of the world to me where Harper's like, no, it's this, this is what I want. And this is what, you know, fills me with that like youthful, exuberant, um, happy feeling. Um, yeah. So that, yeah. that was my journey in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that. What that moment is, they're they're coming together, is them 
doing exactly what you said is, is having perhaps for both of them a first experience where you're like, okay, now I know what it feels like when it's right. And now I can take this throughout hopefully more of my life. Yeah. You know, I think so many people have rocky starts with romance in, in their teen years and it takes them a long time to figure out what the right thing is. I may or may not be speaking from personal experience. (laughs) And I think that the little gift that this show gives them at the end, even though so much of their lives is, you know, uncertain, um, is saying, okay, well, as you, you know, both spin off into the world in different directions, you know, this thing. And the next person you meet in whatever form you're in and, and where you are, like you're going to remember what it could feel like and should feel like maybe. Um, I don't see that. I don't think they're going to have any sort of long distance romance or anything. I think this night is kind of goodbye. Yeah. And, and that kiss is goodbye or the several kisses. Um, and I think they know that, uh, but who really cares? They really like each other. They love each other. And, um, it doesn't matter what their gender is or what their supposed orientation is. It's just about like that pure connection. Um, and I think in that way, like the end of the show is so, I mean, I got teary. I mean, it's so hopeful even as these kids are tearing off into the, like literally the dawn of a completely, uh, challenging and changed world. I was doing that thing that, um, I think is inevitable that, that one does at the end of something like this. Like I, I, I did it a little bit with, with normal people, but I think I decided at the end of normal people that I, I would prefer to not know what happens to those two characters and what, you know, people, people seem really obsessed with what happens to, um, the set of young lovers at the end of normal people. And I'm like, I kind of like not knowing, but for this, I couldn't help but think sort of like, okay, what is, what does this mean? And I agree with you. I don't see this as the beginning of a, of a long distance romance between uh, Italy and Okinawa or anything like that. But, but I did sort of have a vision of like, I think they'll see each other again, you know, maybe several times and anytime they see each other, it will just be like, like no time has passed that they have, that this connection that they're forging here over the course of the series and over the course of this night um, means that, you know, that there, there are some people in your life, where when you see them, it's just immediately like comfortable and, um, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it, it should be rare, but that connection is a real thing. And I was just like sort of imagining like Fraser visiting Harper, Harper visiting Fraser, and them just immediately like, you know, smiling and hugging and stuff like that. And it doesn't mean that they're like together romantically. It just means I see you, you see me. And that's really important to me, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think like, right before I left for college, uh, a really close girlfriend of mine who was straight hooked up like lightly, nothing serious. Yeah. And it was like so weird. And the next morning I was like, why, how did the hell that happen? And I just, I just, it was just, we were, we had been so close that summer and we were saying goodbye to our teenage life and going away to school. And, and, uh, I mean, she was going, <laughs> going to my same college, but like, we weren't going to see each other much. <laughs> and, um, and you know, it, 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 
it, it didn't feel at all like some kind of violation of the identity I already I was already out. Like it didn't feel like a violation of that at all. It just felt like, well, here's this other thing that happened, you know, and I think that the fluidity and the questioning that this show has, I think, pretty carefully and intelligently dealt with throughout the season um, is given such a a nice bit of proof in a way in that in that those last scenes you know it's just like yeah it can function it really sometimes is just about the person you know that kind of trite thing that people say i don't you know i don't see gender i don't want it's just about the person and you sometimes roll your eyes at that um because desire seems to be so much more of like a gut kind of fixed thing yeah um but in this case it's like no it's just that these two people in this you know in this morning are 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 right for each other can I tell you a story since you very kindly just shared a personal story? Can I tell you a story that I haven't thought about in like a really long time? Please. Which is that I went to a Rufus Wainwright concert with a guy friend of mine who I only knew to have dated guys and slept with guys and who like occasionally wore makeup and stuff like that. And I absolutely a thousand percent in in like the deepest marrow of my bones knew that that was just like a friend night at a concert. And then he like initiated a hookup with me at the end of the night and i was so confused Mm -hmm. and not unhappy about it but i was just sort of like this is not i don't and then and like i haven't thought about that in a long time but that that idea of like that's sort of like what this whole series is trying to be is just sort of like you know un un unlock (laughs) from those more rigid definitions or more rigid expectations of what something might be and leave yourself open to connection where where you find it because connection is rare um and if you find it you find it sort of thing um, yeah no absolutely and i think when thinking about that in in a bro- in the broader kind of political context of the show um you know i love that line in what the constitution means to me which is on amazon people can watch it now yes um where heidi shrek says you know about a younger generation. She's like, I like to think that they're shining a light backwards, you know, behind them. So, you know, we can follow them into the light or whatever. I'm I'm paraphrasing. It's a much more elegant line when she says it. Um, But I think this kind of final image of these kids running into the new day um, is it, it, it made me think about like all the, the horrid bullshit politically that is going to, plague the world for the next four years and beyond and head before, but like in a more concentrated form from 2016 on, um, and, and how they're just kind of, they're maneuvering it. They're cutting through it. They're, they're finding sneaky little workarounds. They're transgressing, uh, in whatever way they can. And I think the show, you know, hopes that the audience in, in an emotional intellectual sense follows them, uh, but I like that the that that it the, the camera doesn't that the show that the show just lets them go off and 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 hopefully we can trust that they among, with many other you know uh, interesting young people are like forging a path ahead for us yeah. and and as much as that is going to raise so many questions about like I thought you like boys or you know whatever the fuck <laughs> um, it they're going to be thinking and engaging and, and, uh, you know, living lives under, um, the crush of something that can feel really impossible a lot of the time. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show. Love to see it. 
Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. I love that. I, and I, <laughs> I'm getting kind of emotional. I really loved this series. I love this series so much. And um, I'm really glad that we that we watched it and we discussed it. Um, I want to look back to sort of earlier in the episode and talk about a few scenes or moments um, and and see how we feel about them. Uh, one moment would be um, when Frasier is helping Harper sort of apply this this beard again to their face. Um, and Harper asks, like, do you like me like this? Like a man. And mm-hmm. Frasier says, I don't know. Are you still you? And, um, that, uh, on one level that can be read as, a um, one of those rude things that Frasier says that's like a little Sarah-esque, uh, in its insensitivity. Um, but on the other hand, I don't, I, I do have some questions about, um, you know, later Harper very, like, uh, emphatically washes washes his beard off their face so that maybe this this particular i don't want to say performance of gender but expression of gender i suppose is maybe not what what they want um i don't know what like what what do you think or of that at least in that form at that age yeah. you know yeah. like who right. knows i i think that like you know initially went with the scene where Harper washed their face and then they get together. And I was like, is this show saying that they're just cis straight people? No, or, you know, like, yeah. like, and obviously it's not <laughs> right. Um, I think that it's what it's doing, which is pretty gracious of the show. And I think I wish, you know, um, that I was better at this in my own writing and my own thinking about the world. But like the show is allowing them just like the time, you know, it's like you can experiment and you can figure it out and you don't, it doesn't have to be fixed. It can, and, and, and you can, you can reject the beard at this age and you can embrace it when, however many years later, months later, days later, tomorrow, who cares? Like, um, it's just about, you know, it's the present tense of the title of the show yeah. and the subtitle. Um, and, uh, I think for me, it, that moment, w- the beard moment was more reminiscent of, you know, uh, certain things. God, I'm trying to think of a specific example, like maybe an episode of the new babysitters club show on Netflix, (laughs) but those moments when kids just are like, you know what? Like, let's just be kids. Like, let's just, we could, let's, let's let the other stuff, you know, that'll come when that can wait, you know, um, let's just be in the present tense, uh, and worry about the other things later. Um, I don't think that that means that Harper's, sense of maybe discomfort in their own body has gone away or anything. It's just like, you know, I I don't want to, you know, I think it reflects back to the scene earlier when they're talking about Mark being doesn't exist. And then Harper's like, well, you know, Craig doesn't exist. We don't exist. And it's like, yeah, you may, you don't in some sense yet exist. You know, you, you get to, I mean, there's so much time to figure that out, hopefully. And, um, there's no need to, um, you know, put on something so you can feel seen. Yeah, it's um, I, that that is another scene that I want to talk about. And I really do. I think there's something really beautiful and and a little obviously disturbing because, you know, for for Harper to say sort of joyously, 
Craig doesn't exist about a friend who has just died is sort of like it's 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 bright and dark at the same time. Um, but yeah. um, but this idea this idea of uh, like basically this episode could be uh, slotted into the genre of one crazy night. Right. Which is um, a genre of film that we see, um, you know, and this sort of like liminal space. Uh, where you exist, where you, you know, um, or even like Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Like you're, you're off on an adventure. This isn't real life. Uh, and you can learn real things about yourself, but, you know, running off to, I think it's, uh, Bologna where they go or something like that, you know, running off to a concert, um, is, is, is an escape is, is being in a forest somewhere, um is not real existence even though you can you know have very real emotions and real transformations about it and so i li- i like this idea of this episode being like this i mean as much as I, as much as i i did want you know more closure on maybe some of our other characters then i can look back at last week's episode and say like okay that was that was the closure the closure mm-hmm. was sarah and maggie being like we are in lockstep and we are us versus them that was their that was the end of their story for as far as we're concerned um and instead we're we're in this like in between space this goodbye this long goodbye uh between these characters i think it's really beautiful um the other moment that I, uh, the last moment that I really want to, well, actually two more, uh, second to the last moment I want to talk about is, is this backstage moment with, with this bartender that Harper meets, uh, the bartender, you know, it, it sort of just reinforces exactly what you're talking about, Richard, in terms of this bartender says like, you're, you're transgender. No, you're F to M. And Harper says, I think so. And the bartender says, uh, say bello using a masculine, uh, like adjective to describe, Harper and then kisses Harper and Harper. Uh, once again, I don't think this show is saying Harper is definitely not transgender. I just think any attempts to box these children right now uh, is something that they're rejecting. And even if, if that maybe is the identity that, that Harper eventually lands on, uh, it's not a box they feel comfortable in right now. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I think also earlier when the bartender takes Harper backstage and, and says hi to, to the musicians is like, uh, this is, this is a friend of mine. He's a big fan. And I think that's the first time we've heard that. Right. Uh, Frazier says he, to refer to, uh, Harper in the car. Um, oh, okay. but I, but I do think okay. this episode, no, yeah. no, no, but I do think this episode is, uh, the first time. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, I I think that like, I I think you know, Fraser had his, uh, whoa whoa whoa, too grown up for me experience last week. Yeah, yeah. And I think in some senses this was Harper's. You know, it was not as fraught by any means. We don't know how old that bartender was, but you know, but like it was still that kind of a, a moment. And and then you know, Fraser ran away at the end of that one, and Harper ran away at the end of this one. Yeah, and they eventually found each other. Um. Uh, you know, I think again, it's just that like, I, I, I am ready for some things and I'm certainly ready to explore and think about it and research and, 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 and try things out, but I'm not quite ready to, to jump in the deep end of the pool yet, you know, and that's okay. And then I really liked this, this boy that, that Frasier meets, um, who has a girlfriend, but still kisses Frasier, has never kissed a boy before. And then <laughs> Frasier's like, do you like it? He's like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> and it's just like very like casual and nice and friendly and sweet uh but you know not not 
where Fraser should be on Harper's last night. You know what I mean? But it's still like a very nice interaction. But what do you make of this moment when when Fraser leaves the boy to go find Harper? Sorry, I keep saying the boy because I I don't know the kid's name. Um to find Harper and and that that boy, this Italian kid, literally blips out of existence. I don't know if you caught that. It's a very weird like magic wand moment where the frame is on the boy left alone and then he just sort of like boops and there's a sound effect too out of existence like he like he doesn't matter um i don't know do you have any thoughts on on that because there's some unusual things that start the episode like the i thought my screener was like flipping out when like the beginning of the episode like harper's getting the pizza and it's a lot of like weird Mm. freeze frame and slow-mo and stuff like that so you know like the show has been experimenting with sort of like odd things the camera flips at one point in this episode etc but that sort of like boop boop like gone uh moment i thought was really interesting for that kid yeah i yeah i mean i i think that kid uh, i mean not to get like like mystical about it it's like did that kid exist right. like, like <laughs> were they were they really in a car with did they just happen to at a random gas station in the middle of the night run into you know, fans of this other, this musician. And then there was this boy that Frasier could kiss and they, you know, like it, there was a sense of like, I think for me, what the show was saying with that was like, you know, this is going to keep happening. Like if you're, if you're lucky and you put yourself out there, you're going to meet people, you yeah. know, the old, you know, that's the thing that like, um, I think a lot of queer kids, uh, if they, depending on when they come out or, or starting to realize things about themselves is like, if there is an encouraging voice in their lives, it might be saying something like, just wait, you know, or like try to find like-minded people or, you know, like there's always that, that sense of, of promise, I guess. And like, you know, after the Jonathan disaster, like, Oh, here's this other sweet boy who like, is at least interested in kissing Fraser and showing him his beloved city of Bologna, (laughs) like a little tour guide. Um, you know, uh, I think there was also maybe something about Bologna being like the kind of book bookish, uh, very cultured, academic city of Italy, you know, mm. um, and that, that, that that's where this kind of final thing took place. I think had there was something being said there. I don't know what exactly about like, you know, was it was it was it then like almost experiencing like university life in one night? I don't know. But oh, I like that. Um, but yeah, I like the I like the presence of that funny kid who would definitely be on an Italian Disney Channel show. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's interesting because, um, like, I, I do th- – I, I was thinking about – you know, we, we, we brought up Romeo and Juliet earlier in the season when we were talking about um, Craig's wedding, right, and sort of the, like, specifically Baz Luhrmann sort of Romeo and Juliet uh, evocation in that episode. And then when this season ends with, like, Harper and Fraser – you know, lovingly kissing each other. I'm like, are they Romeo and Juliet? You know, like they're, they're, they're of warring families, like sort of thing. Like, I think that's kind of interesting. This idea that this might be a sort of like Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, they're with the wrong people in the forest for a while until they find the right people kind of thing. Um, I just like that those possible illusions, whether or not they're there, uh, exist in the show. The show is just so fun to, to watch and think about. So um, I'm really Mm -hmm. glad we watched it. All right. The last thing I want to talk about uh, is something that our listeners, I think tried to warn us over and over and over again about, which is like how important 
the music of Blood Orange and Dev Hines would be for the show. And the fact that we spend this last episode essentially at a Dev Hines concert, that Dev Hines is in this episode, that we watch like full musical numbers uh, in this episode. There's a part of me... I like the setting of this episode. There's a part of me that feels a little frustrated because while we're watching like a full musical number, uh, and this is very off character for me because usually I'm pro musical numbers. I'm like, I want to spend time with my characters and I don't know that I want to be at this concert. Uh, Like, why do you think the show does this in the end? You know they're getting lost in like the din of their own passions. You know, they're like, they're like, they've gone to the nexus of their, (laughs) of their shared, you know, love. And, and it's this bright, loud thing and they lose each other within it. You know, I think that makes some sense to me. I can think about like getting swept up in doing theater where the person I auditioned for a play with the friend, you know, the friend I, I kind of entered this adventure with, like, by the end of it, I've, you know, we've shifted into different little social groups within the play. And like, you know, I, I, I think, I think it makes some sense to me. I think, you know, I think Guadagnino probably definitely wanted to honor this musician whose music has been so foundational to the show. Yeah. Um, but I know what you mean. I, th- I think that I, I, I think given the length of the concert scene, uh, you felt a little bit like, well, we're running out of time here, guys. Like we need to get back to, to our, our kids. Um, but you know, what, what, what happened within that, that sequence, I think, satisfied emotionally uh, what I was, well, I guess what I didn't know I was looking for from the end of the show. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, 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 I like, as, you, as you're saying, like, the clock's running out. <laughs> the clock's running out for these kids and our chance to spend time with them. Dawn is coming. Harper says in this episode, by this time tomorrow, I'll be so far away. You know what I mean? They're going to Chicago. They're going to Okinawa, all this sort of stuff like that. So um, I just felt the urgency of that time. And so a little bit of impatience with like spending the time with Def Hines, who who's like a perfectly like the music's great and like was a nice, uh, you know, presence in this episode. Um, so it's no no knock on that music or or that appearance necessarily. But it's just sort of like a little a little off balance for me, I guess, with yeah. what I would prefer to have in my final episode. Though maybe that's kind of the point in that, like, you know, thinking back to like the last week before college started when I was, you know, 18 or the last week of college four years later where like you're doing all this activity and it's so exciting and you're hanging out. And then one morning it's just like, oh, it's time to graduate and goodbye, (laughs) you know, and and there's always an anticlimax to it. It never feels as fulfilling as it should. I mean, they got to punctuate the night with this coming together or this kissing and, and whatever that implies. Um, but then, you know, like eventually they're not running away. They're going to have to go back. And, you know, so I think that like maybe the sense that we did lose them a little bit in this episode was, was deliberate. Excellent. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to mention about this episode specifically or the show as a whole, um, before we say ciao, um, adio. No, we we would say arrivederci. That would be the the big goodbye. Um, (laughs) You know, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've, we, I've rambled on enough, but like, I think it was just such a lovely show and such an interesting one, a challenging one. I'm really glad we covered it. Um, I really hope that people who have listened to this show, uh, will be evangelical about this, about we are, who we are to friends and families and whoever, um, because I haven't seen much chatter about it. I, 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 I don't know, but. I think um, I wonder I have to wonder I know some people were waiting for it to end so they could watch it all at once because that is our 
crazed binge culture uh, that we exist in. Um, you know, so if, if people might enjoy it as like an eight hour <laughs> Luca Guadagnino experience, uh, Luca Guadagnino plus uh, other collaborators, obviously. And then, um, you know, and I also think it's it's sad to say, but a lot of people nowadays sort of uh, that I know of wait to hear how something ends before they even start it. Not the specifics mm-hmm. of it, but just sort of like, is this going to let me down the way that <laughs> Game of Thrones did or whatever? Like, I don't want to I don't want to get invested. And, uh, you know, I would just say I agree with you. I hope people are evangelical about the show. I hope you guys who are enjoying it or enjoying hearing us talk about it. Uh, go out and tell your friends that this is something that they should they should really uh, that it is a, a little bit of a a challenge at the beginning, but I think that challenge sort of makes the the, the sweetness uh, and the emotional resonance at the end feel like really like hard one in a nice way. So um, yeah, and yeah. if you want to feel like the kids are going to be something close to all right, no matter what happens tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, here's a show to watch. <laughs> by tomorrow do you mean next Tuesday? I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, this will be airing on monday right yeah 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 yep. fair enough all right richard until uh whatever happens after next tuesday <laughs> where can <laughs> folks find you uh well i think i'm just gonna be wandering through bologna hoping hoping to meet my own kind of cute tour guide who wants to kiss <laughs> <laughs> Who's my age, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'll be tweeting at Rylaws and writing uh, at VF.com. And uh, Joanna, uh, where will you be? Until, I guess, well, well, we'll be back here talking about the other show, but <laughs> for the next few weeks. But, um, in the, you know, in, in the Italian version of you, where, where will that person be? Uh, well, absolutely not ordering Domino's pizza on my last night in Italy. That's for nope. sure. Um, <laughs> so I guess winging my way back to Chicago. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. Or you can find me at VanityFair.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Please do always email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. I've loved your emails around this show. They've been really great. And, uh, you know, keep that going. Keep that attitude uh, going for the undoing and and we will make it through 2020 together uh mm-hmm. it'll be fine all right we'll see you guys next time mille grazie <laughs>